proper regular scheduled programming to bring you this rant. No, I'm not actually going to rant this week. At least I'll try not to. But I had to interrupt. I was in the middle of um, doing a couple episodes on the same topic. And I kind of felt to interrupt the whole thing and address something this week that I think would help you very much and help a lot of people very much. Because I think every time something significant happens in the world, something significant happens in the country that is controversial, Christians have a couple different responses. And they try to figure out, oh, how should we respond to this? Should we say something? Should we not say anything? And there's three groups of Christians when it comes to these things. Group one is the outspoken people that will say stuff and make up noise and voice their opinions and bring the word of God and do all of that. Group two are the silent people. The people who think, okay, you know, I don't really have to say anything and I don't want to stir the pot. I don't want to make anybody mad, love and grace and peace. That's group two. But the third group of people, they're the people that bless their hearts. They're the ones that are usually not knowing it are against the word of God. And they have views that are just contrary to the word. And we saw that very recently with this old Roe versus Wade thing in America. And when it first happened, I was in Canada. I'm in Canada. For all y'all who don't know, I'm Canadian, not American, but the funny part is a lot of people who listen to this podcast and follow my ministry are American. So I'm like, okay, should I say anything? Should I not say anything? Should I be quiet because it's not in my country or should I just let it out and let loose and say whatever I have to say? And I started thinking about it and this extends over into everything because believers tend to try to back away and they're always scared for their reputation and certain preachers are always scared about okay how are people going to respond to this am I going to get canceled am I going to get backfire for what I say and you can't be like that we have to stop looking at things in that light we have to stop measuring how we talk and what we say based off of what the world or how the world is going to respond to us and I think that's a very big problem with modern day Christians and some modern day not all of them but some modern day Christians they give in to the enemy's attempt to intimidate them and if you fall into that trap I talked about it before on this podcast, how one of the enemy's tools, especially in the last days, he uses intimidation to get you to back off of the word of God and back off of your beliefs. Because if he can intimidate you, he'll shut you up. He'll keep you in fear and fear will stop you from doing anything. And I and one thing that we have to resolve in this last hour of time as believers, and I say it until I sound like a broken record, but you have to resolve in your heart that if you decide to follow christ and be a christian in this last hour of time more so now than ever you have to understand that what you believe is not popular and if you're trying to get accepted and you're trying to get your views accepted by the world it's not going to happen it's not going to happen you have to understand and resolve once and for all in your heart today that if you're a believer your views are not going to be popular with the world your views are going to get you hated by the world. 
And Jesus warned about this. Jesus told us about this. He said, oh, don't worry if the world hates you. He said, they hated me first. So what makes you think the servant is above his master? That's what Jesus said. So if they hated me, they're going to hate you because you follow me. That's what he told his disciples. And it baffles me how we hear Jesus say that and then turn around and try mash down Christianity and make it more palatable to a fallen world and make it more palatable to a wicked world and people who don't follow Christ. We have to stop doing that. And thank God for every single person that speaks up. Thank God for every single Christian that speaks up. And I know people get, you just say all the demons start manifesting. I'm sorry. You just, through this whole Roe versus Wade thing, you just saw the demon-possessed people start manifesting. All these people starting to manifest and going crazy and losing their mind over this because they're mad that something didn't go their way for once. And let me tell you something. And they turn around and they're like, you Christians, and you da-da-da-da-da, you this, you guys are that, you guys are bigots, you guys are X, Y, Z. Understand, understand what you believe as a Christian is not popular. It will never be popular. What you stand for, Christian values, the word of God, it will never be popular. So stop trying to make it popular and live the way God wants you to live. Because once you die, I said this before, once you die or once, once Jesus comes back, you're not standing before any of these people. You're not standing before the head of the millennial committee. You're not standing before any of these people that are running their mouths. You're not standing before any governmental leader. You're not standing before any world leader. You know who you're standing before? Jesus. That's who you're standing for. before. So why would you live your life to please anybody else but him? If you know that when your life comes to an end on this earth, you're going to have an appointment with him and you're going to have to stand before him and give an account for how you lived your life on this earth. Why would you live your life to please everybody else but him? When they're not the ones that put the breath in your body, they're not the ones that gave you life. They're not the ones that you have to answer to. So why are we acting like those people are going to, we're going to have an appointment with them and stand before them when we die. We're not. We are not as believers. And as I was getting ready to record this today, all this stuff started swirling around in my mind. And I'm like, okay, so how can I bring this from the word of God? What can I say? And as I started praying about it, and as I started reading the word about it, I felt this drop into my spirit. And it took me a week to kind of put it together fully because it was just a bunch of thoughts mumble jumbled. And it took me a week to honestly put it together and set it out straight. And I felt to go to Deuteronomy 6. I felt to go to Deuteronomy 6. And let's go there, Deuteronomy 6. And then I'll, let me lay a foundation with that and then build it from there. And I'm going to start from verse 4. Watch what it says. This is after God gave Israel the Ten Commandments. So watch what he says now in verse 4, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Watch what he said. He said, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is God alone. And you must love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. 
And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let me read it again. Listen, O Israel, because this is important. The Lord our God is God alone. And you must love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So watch what happened in here. After God gave them these Ten Commandments, he said, now I've given you these commands and showed you how to follow and how to live. Now you must make sure that you wholeheartedly follow these commands. Not half-heartedly, but you wholeheartedly follow them. And serve me with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. And then he took it a step further from there. He said, okay, don't just follow them wholeheartedly. Don't just serve me with all your heart. But talk about it to your children. Talk about it to them when you're getting up, when you're on the road. Tie it to yourselves and make, make it as a reminder to you to follow it and post it on your doorposts and on your gates. So you have to understand God wanted a wholehearted commitment from his people. And that commitment didn't just end with them, but it extended into every area of their life. It extended into every area of their life. It went on, it extended to themselves. It extended to their children. It extended to everywhere they went. It extended throughout the day. And it extended to the things they owned. That's all, that's serious. It wasn't just something that he gave to them. And it's like, yeah, you know, once a week when you come to the tabernacle or when the priest comes once a year, follow those commands and do it. He said every day of your life and in everything that you do and in anything that pertains to you, let these commands rule your life and follow them. And what I noticed from reading that and thinking about what I was going to talk about today is that the problem with this wave of Christianity, the problem with millennial Christianity and modern day Christianity is that we well, not say we, but they don't have a wholehearted commitment to God. They are not fully committed to God and they don't have the same commitment that Israel had or that God told Israel to have to him. And for some reason, we t we think that God changed that. OK, he wanted a wholehearted commitment from them. But now, thank God for grace and mercy and all of that. And Jesus died. So now I don't have to have a wholehearted commitment to God because God understands my heart. And and people won't present it to you as that. They won't come to you explicitly and say, I don't want to follow God with everything inside of me. So, you know, what? I'm just going to change it around here. No, they think that they're following God fully, but they're not. And you have to understand that if you're a believer, God wants a wholehearted commitment from you. That has not changed. That has not changed because Jesus came and died on the cross.
That did not change. As a matter of fact, when Jesus came and died on the cross, he gave you the power and made it possible for you to follow God fully and wholeheartedly and gave you the strength and the backing of the Holy Spirit to do it. So you're not doing it in your own flesh and you're not doing it in your own power. And as you walk with God daily, he gives you the strength to carry out those commands. He gives you the power to carry out those commands. It's not like it was back in the Old Testament where he gave it to them and he knew good and well they could not follow them. He knew good and well that they would never be able to follow all those commands. Because the Bible says that the law was there to expose sin. The law came to expose man's wickedness and to expose the state of man's heart. I'm paraphrasing. But that's what the law did. So nowadays, because of the Holy Spirit, we can do it. We can carry it out and we don't have to do it in our own flesh. We don't have to do it in our own power, but we can do it by the Holy Spirit's power. But we have to make the decision to want to serve God wholeheartedly. We have to make the decision to want to follow God with everything inside of us. He doesn't like a halfway commitment. And I know this generation likes to be halfway with God. You know, I don't want to be that radical. You know, I know it's just, you know, that, that overly legalistic stuff, that overly legalistic holiness stuff. It doesn't take all of that because thank God for grace. It don't take all of that these days. That is not true. That is not true. As a matter of fact, the standard has been raised now because you have the Holy Spirit. You have the power to do it. So now there's no excuse. Now there's no excuse for you as a believer. And you people may say, oh, Marlon, you're being harsh. You know, you're being hard and, you know, you're not showing any grace. No. But too long has this dead Christianity been able to go on. Too long have we been making excuses for not why we can't follow God, but too long we've been making excuses for why we don't want to follow God. And we're trying to glorify why we don't want to follow his commands. That's the issue. People don't want to follow God's commands. It's not that they can't. It's that they don't want to put down their flesh because they love it. They don't want to follow God because it takes too much. It takes too much from them. It's too unpopular. So they don't want to do it. It doesn't feel good for their flesh. So now they don't want to do it, but they got to find a way to make it more spiritual. They don't want to follow God. And God requires a wholehearted commitment. He requires us to follow him with our whole heart, everything inside of us, not half of our heart, not half of our strength. You know, on Sundays, I'm going to give it all to God. And Monday, you know, so, you know, you know how Mondays stay, you know how Mondays are, you know, the hardest day of the week because everybody got to go back to work saying, I don't feel like doing all of that. I don't feel like keeping up on my Bible readings. I don't feel like keeping up on my prayer life. You know, I don't feel like doing all of that. And, you know, when I get around my unsafe friends, you know, they kind of think I'm kind of a crazy person because, you know, I follow Christ. And, you know, Christianity ain't popular in these days. So, you know, I kind of tone it down just to reach them. We try to glorify it and make excuses for the fact that we don't want to follow God. We don't want to follow him. But for some reason, we still want to attain his blessings and we still want to make it to heaven and avoid the wrath of God and avoid hell. 
And that's the reality of the situation. It's not going to work like that. It's not going to work like that. You have to pick a side. And millennial Christians need to stop teeter-tottering on the fence. They need to stop being halfway with God. You know, I want to be with God, but you know, I'm in the world at the same time. I love God, but I love the world. Pick a side. Pick a side. Either we're all in with God or we're all in the world. Either we're on fire or we're not. God did not. Look what Jesus said in the book of Revelation. There's no space for being lukewarm. There's no space for being lukewarm. And for some reason, we make a pass for lukewarm Christianity like God accepts it. And he doesn't. He said, be hot or be cold. But he said, if you decide to be lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. If you decide to be halfway, I'm not going to accept that. If you decide to live with a half-hearted commitment, I'm not going to accept that. How do we feel if God didn't accept us? Come to that realize, does God come to that realization today? Does God accept you? Did God spew you out of his mouth? Think about it. Like where you are at right now. The way I'm living my life as a professing Christian, does God accept me? Am I on fire for him or am I straddling the fence? And if I'm straddling the fence, he's going to spew you out of his mouth. It's a very sobering thought because a lot of things that we make a pass for today, God does not make a pass for it. A lot of things that we think is just normal in the day and, you know, we can make excuses for that because, you know, thank God, you know, for his grace. No, God doesn't accept that. We have to live according to his standards. We have to live according to his commandments. We have to live according to the way that he set out for us. And it can't be half-hearted. Just like he told his people. You follow it and make it extend to every area of your life. Talk about it during the day. Talk about it in the evening. Talk about it to your children. Talk about it when you get up. Talk about it when you go to bed. And here's what I want to get at. He said, tie it. He said, tie it to your hands and wear them on your forehead as a reminder. Tie it to you. Tie it to you. And I titled this tied to his commandments because the problem is we need to, we don't want to be tied to the commands of God. If it's tied to you, it becomes a part of you. If, if his commandments are tied to you, it's not something you can just put on and take off. Tie it to you. Put it on yourselves, attach it to you so it's not something that is just separate from you. It becomes a part of you. If I'm a Christian, I follow God. It's not, oh, I have the commands of God and I put them down today and pick them up tomorrow. If it's tied to me, it now becomes a part of me. Tied to his commandments. Are you tied to the commands of God? Do you have that type of commitment that he told his people to have back in the Old Testament? Or have you given in to crazy millennial Christianity and modern day lukewarm Christianity and have a halfway commitment to God? Think about it. 
I want people to understand this and take a look inside of yourself because Jesus is coming soon. And we've deceived ourselves. A lot of people have deceived themselves to think that they're, they're all right and they're going to heaven when they're on a slippery slope to hell. And it's not all right. It's not all right. And you have to determine in your heart today that I'm going to follow God wholeheartedly. I'm not going to have this halfway Christianity that God ain't accepting anyways. But I'm going to follow God fully. And come what may, it doesn't matter. You know what? This is how I know that this modern wave of Christianity ain't doing nothing and is not accepted by God. Because as you follow God, and as you continue his com in his commands and you follow the way he has for, for you to follow, you grow in Christ and begin to every day get conformed to the nature of Christ. Okay? You get conformed. You're growing spiritually and you're starving your flesh. So it gets to a point where you don't follow after your flesh anymore because you're starving it and it's dead. And now you're following after the spirit. And following the ways of the spirit. The Bible said in Galatians 5. Walk not in the spirit. So that you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Why does this new wave of Christianity. Always cater to the flesh. Why does this new wave of Christianity. After years and years of being in it. They're still talking about how you know. A thousand times I failed you Lord. I'm still struggling. And you know I'm just a sinner. Saved by grace. I know I'm a sinner. You know I never want to forget the fact. That I'm just a dirty rotten old sinner. Your flesh is not dead yet. You're not being conformed. To the image of Christ. Like the Bible said. You're walking every day. In this path. And you're being a follower of Christ. A Christ follower. A Christian. And Nothing is happening. Your flesh is not dying. Your flesh is not being killed. So that tells me that something is being done wrong. That tells me off the bat that something ain't right. Because as you continue to follow Christ, the spiritual desires, the fruit of the spirit begin to grow with you. And it gets to a point where you don't follow after the ways of the flesh. You don't follow after the lust of the flesh. You don't walk in the flesh anymore because you're too busy walking in the spirit. You're too busy walking that way. And you can't walk two paths at the same time. You don't see somebody walking with one foot on this path and this foot on the other path. It doesn't work like that. It's either one or the other. If I were to try walking two directions at the same time, if I had one leg walking this direction and this leg walking that direction, I could do it for a couple steps. And after a while, it's not going to work anymore. It's not going to work. I'm going to hurt myself because I'm not flexible by any means. I can't do no splits. So I'm going to hurt myself. And that's how it is in the spirit. People are trying to walk two paths at the same time. Follow after God. Be a Christian. Please God, but at the same time, please the world and don't get the world upset at you and don't get the world to hate you. It doesn't work like that. And we need to pick, pick a path. Which path are you walking on? Are you following Christ or are you following the world? Because the Bible said friendship with the world is enmity against God. You can't follow after God and love the world at the same time. You can't love God and love the world at the same time. Pick a side. Either you follow the world and you reap the consequences of that and spend an eternity without God and live a very crappy life on the earth. Or you follow after God 
And though the world may come at you, though the world may hate you, though the world may not be happy and they may throw rocks in your direction, I am pleasing God. And when I get to my end of the rope, I will be rewarded on the other side of on the other side of this world in eternity. But at the same time, when I live on this earth, I'll be blessed by God. At the same time, when I live on this earth, as I'm walking through, I'm not putting up with the same things people put up with. I'm not dealing with the same struggles people deal with, but I'm blessed. Amen. But we have to pick a side. You have to pick a side. And what you also need to come to terms with is with the fact that people are going to come at you if you're a Christian. People are going to attack you if you're a Christian. Don't worry about it. Don't let that govern your life. It's an attack of the enemy and it's a ploy of the enemy to get you to fall off of the horse. To get you to not follow God as hard as you're supposed to. To get you to not have a wholehearted commitment to God. Because if the enemy turns up the heat and he tries to intimidate you, this is going to happen if you don't follow me. That is going to happen if you don't conform to this way. This is going to happen if you don't hold this viewpoint. It's intimidation. And the enemy wants you to look at it like, oh, that's scary. So, you know, I'll stop. And you just fall right into his trap. Look what happened in Daniel when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, King Nebuchadnezzar set up the statue, big and bad. This man came through and said, okay, I'm going to set up this statue. And everybody who doesn't worship, bow down, worship this statue, I'm going to throw you into this furnace. I'm going to throw you into the furnace. And everybody was scared. And they bow down and they worship. But there are three boys that said, we ain't doing that. We're not doing that. No, we're not doing that. We don't worship anybody else but our God. King Nebuchadnezzar got mad, the Bible said, and he turned up the heat of the furnace seven times. And the enemy, look at this, the enemy would use that to try and intimidate them. You better bow down and worship that statue. Because if you don't, you know that furnace is kind of hot. And I mean, you don't look good as barbecue. Understand that you don't look good as barbecue. So, I mean, you better bow down and worship. Yeah, do that because, you know, you know, fire and skin and human beings and all that stuff. It don't work. You better bow down and worship it. That's how the enemy acts. You know, bow down because that fire is so great and so hot. So you don't want to get thrown into the fire. Intimidation. But look what happened. They ended up getting thrown into the fiery furnace. But what happened? The flames couldn't touch them. The flames couldn't even burn them. And Jesus ended up showing up into that furnace and delivered them out. And Nebuchadnezzar turned around and was like, oh my gosh, this good, these people's God is the one true God. And he saw, and he saw that they weren't just blowing smoke, but the God who they served was actually the one true God. Pulled them out of the furnace and they were perfectly fine. Not one hair of their head was singed. Look what happened with Daniel. These people, the officials of the king came out and they were mad and they convinced the king to make a decree. Was it King Darius made a decree that you can't pray to the God of Israel. So, you know what Daniel did? Daniel turned around, opened up his window, still prayed three times a day out the window. Didn't care because, OK, the world may say I'm going to get punished if I serve God. But you know what? I'm not, I don't serve them. They're not my God. I'm not standing before them when I die. I'm not going to have to give an account, account to them when I die. So you know what? 
When it comes down to the wire, I'm still going to serve my God. And Daniel didn't change one thing. He didn't even close the window and say, you know, I'll pray one time a day and, you know, I'll pray quietly. No, he continued to pray. He continued to do it. And they found out and Daniel got thrown into the lion's den. But what happened? That looked like an intimidating situation. You know, lions and, you know, skin and people and all that. It's going gonna, gonna to hurt. If you get thrown in that lion's den, they're going to rip you apart. It's good. It, it, you know, you don't look good as lion food. So, I mean, you really want to do that? You don't want to do that. Those lions are very big and great and bad. They'll tear you apart. Intimidation. But look what happened. He got thrown into the lion's den and they came back. The king came back and checked on him and he was perfectly fine. The angel of the Lord, the Bible said, shut the lion's mouth. The lion could not touch him and he was perfectly fine. But those weren't some, you know, bionic lions that were cyborg lions that were just messed up and weird and rigged the system or something like that that didn't happen those were perfectly normal lions that would tear humans apart because when daniel got pulled out his enemies that were trying to take him down got thrown in and before they hit the ground the lions tore them apart well that's such a gruesome story but that's how the enemy stays he tries to get you to be intimidated he tries to get you to stop following God out of intimidation. And he tries to stop you from doing it because this is going to happen. That's going to happen. You know, your social media account is going to get shut down if you say that. Cancel culture is going to come at you if you say that. You know, you're going to make an enemy out of people if you believe, if you believe in biblical values. If you believe in biblical marriage, they're going to come at you. If you don't support this, they're going to come at you. If you question the system, they're going to come at you. And people are going to say this and that. You're going to lose followers. It's a devil's lie. And it's intimidation. And if you fall into that trap, I'm telling you, if you fall into that trap, things start to spiral down for you. Because you live your life trying to please the world. And please them and please them and please them. And you don't find any satisfaction. You don't find anything. And you end up dying, messed up, and end up spending an eternity in hell without God. What is the cost? What is the price of doing that? What is my reward? I don't even get a proper reward for following the world. I don't even get a proper reward for pandering to their views and what they want. Let them lose their minds if they want. I'm not doing it. Because, <laughs> no. It, it, there's no reward. It's not a great reward. I counted the cost and it is not worth it. It's not worth it to follow the world. So let them lose their minds and let them blow up. It's all right. It's all right. They can do that. And you'll figure out that as you stand for God, God will stand for you. God will protect you. He didn't let the Hebrew boys get burnt up. He didn't let Daniel get eaten because they followed his commands and they kept him in first place and they kept themselves wholeheartedly committed to them. And he in turn came and rescued them from their troubles and protected them. That's the same thing that will happen to you, but you have to have a wholehearted commitment to God. You can't pander to the world and follow him at the same time. Wholehearted commitment. I ask you again, are you wholeheartedly committed to God? God said in 1 Samuel 2, when Eli wouldn't, in the story where Eli, the priest Eli, he wouldn't correct his reckless sons and his sons are wilding. 
and he wouldn't correct them. So God took the, took the priesthood away from them. And watch what he said in verse 30, 1 Samuel 2, 30. He said, therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I promise that the branch of the tribe of Levi would always be my priest, but I will honor those who honor me. And I will despise those who think lightly of me. This is what God said. He said, I will honor those who honor me, but I will despise those who think lightly of me. Uh, you know, God don't hate nobody. You know, God, he just loves everybody. The love of God, you know, nothing, nothing. You're never too far from the love of God. Even in your wickedness, God loves you. And let me tell you something. God loves the world. God loves God. God loved the world that he gave Jesus. But God does not approve of wickedness. And God does not approve of certain people. And let me take it a step further and let me just rock the boat. God hates certain people. God hated Esau, Esau, the Bible said. The Bible says in Psalms that God hates the wicked. And he said here that he would despise those who lightly esteem him. He didn't say, you know, he'll just tolerate. He said he will despise the people who lightly esteem him. Don't be that person who God despises. Don't be the person who God hates because you're wicked or because you esteem him lightly. Don't be that person. Be a person that is pleasing to God. Be a person whose ways please him. Don't have a light esteem for God. I know this generation will try and make us Try to have a light commitment and try to have a halfway commitment because, you know, we got to serve God. But at the same time, we got to love them and draw people in. And, you know, people got to come in and all that stuff. Two things on that. Be two things. And listen to me when I say this. Two things on that note, because that's that's a big thing they always talk about in this generation. You know, we got to bring people in and, you know, we have to make sure our ways help people come in. Two things. God will never, God never ordained for you to go down to the world's level to bring them in. That will never bring anybody in. I'm just telling you right now, you stooping down to the level of the world and watering down your Christianity will not get anybody saved. Because let me tell you something, throughout the Bible, throughout the book of Acts with the early church, they never once watered down their message. They never once watered down their delivery. They never once watered down how they operated to bring people in. And they had 3,000 converted in one day, 5,000 converted on another occasion. They never watered themselves down to bring people in. It was the gospel, the true preaching of the gospel, and the demonstration of God's power that brought people in. That's what brought them in. Look what happened on the day of Pentecost. Peter got up and he preached the message straight. He preached the message straight. He said, this Jesus that y'all crucified, he came and he died and now the Holy Spirit is coming down. Now y'all got to repent of your sins and be baptized. He just preached the message straight to them and they got saved. Was it 3,000 on the day of Pentecost that got saved off of that one message? And the enemy tries to get us to water down the message because that's the way we got to bring people in in this generation. No, it's not. The way it worked for them back then is the way it's going to work for us now. The way we're going to, we, they got people saved back then is the same way we're going to get people saved now. Through the power of the gospel and through the demonstration of it too.
That's how people are going to come in and get saved. No other way. Not through you trying to stoop down to their level. Not through you trying to be relevant. That's not going to bring nobody in and get people to have a true commitment to Christ. It will not. Because let me tell you something. Oh, but my church is bringing them in. And, you know, my church is big and we, you know, we don't do that Holy Ghost stuff. Take out, take out all the stuff that the world likes. Take out all the worldly stuff out of your system and see how fast people leave. Take out all the things that make you more palatable to the world and see how fast people run away and see how fast they back off off of it. Paul said in Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation, saving everyone that believes. The gospel is the power that's going to bring people to salvation. The gospel is what's going to get people saved. The gospel is what's going to let us have many, many people come into the kingdom of God like they saw in the book of Acts. It's the power of the gospel. And Paul said, I'm not ashamed of it. And you shouldn't be ashamed of it either. Because the minute you become ashamed of it, you're stopping a lot of people from getting saved. The minute you become ashamed of it, there's a generation of people that ain't going to make it to heaven because you did that. That puts a whole new weight on us now. That the way I live my life and the way I live my Christianity has an effect on how other people act. Has an effect on if other people are going to come into the kingdom of God. Because if you're a pastor and you have this seeker-sensitive Christianity, you're stopping people from coming in. You're stopping people from having a true commitment to God. And as a matter of fact, you're deceiving people to live a certain way that they can live in their sin. They can live any way they want and they'll be okay. It's not going to work. It's the power of the gospel that will draw people in. It's not your methods or your ways. It's not what you do. And how many songs you sing. And if I sing the new time songs or the old time songs. It's not. It's none of that. It's the power of the gospel. And you can't be ashamed of it. You can't be ashamed of it. Despite what anybody else says. Okay, the Bible is not popular with this generation. But this generation's hearts are far from God anyways. And we're sitting there trying to pander to a generation of people that have wicked hearts. The devil is a liar. Don't do that. Don't do that. We have to understand that we need to have a wholehearted commitment to God. We need to evaluate ourselves in this day and in this hour. Truly evaluate our hearts and see, do we really have a wholehearted commitment to God? Are we fully committed to God like we say? Are we living up and are we measuring up to not our own standards, not our own interpretations, but are we measuring up to His standards? Are we measuring up to the way that he wants us to live. If we're not, then we need to change. If we're not measuring up, we need to change. <laughs> if we're not measuring up to that standard, then no question, no if, ands, or buts, we need to change. And that's what we need to do. Because let me tell you something. Everybody is losing their mind every time something in the world happens like that. That's going to continue to happen. That is going to continue to happen. And you as a Christian can't sit there silent. 
Because when the world has their views, here's the thing, and then I'll shut up. But let me tell you something. Why is it that the world is allowed to have their views and make up all the noise in the world about their stupid views, but God forbid Christians say one thing. Ah, you are bigot. You this, you that. And Christians sit there and shut up and keep their mouth shut because the devil got their mouth. The devil got their tongue. Because they can't handle that. They, they want to be palatable to everybody. They can't handle when the world comes at that, so they keep their mouth shut. But the world is allowed to make up all the noise in the world? No. 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 The devil is a liar. <laughs> the devil is a liar. And I think the minute that preachers start preaching on Bible prophecy and eternity and hell and all that stuff was the minute people were allowed to live like this. Because when you preach on eternity and living your life with eternity in view and the reality of hell and the reality of end time Bible prophecy and you preach on the book of Revelation and the appearance of the Antichrist and the one world system and all that stuff laid out in the book of Revelation, there's no room for you to live halfway. There's no more room for any, any Christian, any believer to live teeter-tottering in the middle of the fence. It puts you at a val in a valley of decision. You got to come on this side or you got to come on that side. Because when you realize that there is still a day coming when your life on earth is going to end and you're going to have to stand before God, there's no more room for you to live halfway. There's no more excuses. And we need to stop letting our little excuses stop us from following God. Oh, this happened to me. That happened to me. So I'm not following God. Get over it. And I say that with all the love of God in my heart. Because listen, the enemy uses church hurt and all this craziness. And I've been trying not to say it. But you know what? I'm just letting it out today because it has to be said. The devil uses church hurt. To get people to fall off of their commitment to God. And they feel justified in it. The church did this to me. The church did that to me. This person said this to me. They treated me bad. If they didn't crucify you, you don't have an excuse. If they didn't crucify you, <laughs> you don't have an excuse. Because they crucified Jesus. And he was on the cross still praying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And we sit here and somebody looks at us sideways in the house of the Lord and we're sitting here backsliding. Uh, Sister Beatrice looked at me bad. So, you know, I follow him and I ain't following God anymore, you know. And now I ain't coming to church anymore. I don't, I don't need the church anymore. Yeah, I'm good. I don't need the church. I can follow God. I can follow God. God understands me. I don't need the church. And we're sitting there on a slippery slope to hell and don't even know it. Because you feel justified in your hurt. And you're putting up a wall between you and God. Don't do that. Coming from somebody who went through church hurt multiple times. Went through serious cases of church hurt. Two times. I'm not saying multiple times like I'm sitting there getting church hurt every week. But two major times I went through church hurt. Once as a young, young person, as a preteen. And another time while I was in the ministry. When I first started out in the ministry. When I first started out in the ministry, I went through a serious case of church hurt. And I could have gave up on everything. I could have threw it all away and backslid. Because let me tell you something, I felt like doing it. But you know what? I wasn't going to use that as an excuse to fall away. I wasn't going to use it as an excuse to walk in the flesh. No. 
No. They may have done that to me. They was wrong for that. They may have done that to you. They was wrong for that. But that is no excuse for you to live halfway. It's no excuse for you to stop following God. It is no excuse for you to not follow God's commands and have a half-hearted commitment to God because so-and-so said this about me and -and so-and-so who was a church leader hurt me. It's the enemy trying to use those people, using those people to mess with you. He's using those people to get you to fall off of your commitment. And you can't do that. You got to, okay, yeah, you got hurt. It was bad. It was sad. It was wrong. But now you got to pull up your bootstraps, pull it together and get back on and say, this is not going to affect my relationship with God. Because if you let those things fester after a while, you don't realize it, you're backslidden. And I've seen it happen with many people over the years. They let a case of church hurt run them off of the course. And next thing you know, a couple years later, you don't even recognize who they are. And I could pinpoint the point on people that I knew that were close to me when they let they let church hurt and things like that give an open door to the enemy and the enemy wrecked their Christianity and wrecked them. And now I don't even recognize them. Over the years, I've seen that. Don't let that be you. Do not let that be you. Don't let anybody or anything mess with your commitment. That's what I want to get to you. As a matter of fact, when things like that happen, remember that you're tying God's commands to you. I'm tied to it. It's not something that I can just take on and take on. I'm tied to it. And no matter who says anything about me, no matter who says what, I'm tied to it and I'm still going to follow it. I'm still going to follow him. That's how you have to have your commitment today. They may blow up at me. They may send all the SJWs and cancel culture at me. That's all right. I'm tied to his commandments. I may hold views that the world hates. That's all right. They hated Jesus first, but I'm still tied to his commandments. Amen. That's how we have to act as believers. I mean, if you don't claim to be a believer, if you don't claim to follow Christ, you don't claim to be a Christian, then you can live however you want. There's a better way for you to live following Christ, but ultimately the choice is yours. You can live however you want. But if you claim to be a Christian, this is the standard that you live by. And if you don't want to live by it, don't try make excuses as to why you don't want to. If you don't want to live by it, come flat out and say, I don't want to live by it. And that's it. That, that happens. People backslide is sad. And I pray that it doesn't happen to anybody watching this podcast. But if people do it, they do it. Not everybody's going to accept this message. But don't make excuses for it. Don't make excuses for it. Don't make an excuse for it. Because if you claim to be a Christian, understand that you submit yourself to the ways of God. And you're saying, I follow God's commands. He, Jesus, is my Lord. He is my master. He dictates me where to go and what to do. He's my Lord. That's what a Lord is. He has authority over me and he directs me. Don't become somebody who doesn't accept Jesus as their Lord. Because, you know, it's a cliche in church. You know, Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. Oh, he is Lord. All of that. But then it's like, is he really your Lord? Everybody will, everybody will lose their mind 
in, in the Pentecostal church is singing out, oh, he has risen from the dead, hallelujah. Like, <laughs> they'll lose their mind singing that, but is he truly your Lord? Is he truly, does he truly hold the authority over you in your life? If he told you to walk in this direction tomorrow, would you do it? And if not, you got to put him back into that place. And I don't say all this. I didn't say all this to be harsh. I didn't say all this because I'm miserable and I need to get things off my chest. But there's urgency in what I'm saying. There's urgency in what I'm saying because we can't sit here being deceived by the enemy. We have to understand and evaluate our commitment to God and recognize if we're following after him or if we're not. And if you're not, jump back on the horse, believer. If you're not following in his commands and you're not submitted wholeheartedly to him, jump back on the horse. Today is the day. Jump back on the horse. Repent. Turn from your ways, wicked ways, and follow after Christ again. He'll accept you. Come back into the fold. Turn back around. Make a 180. Come back in and follow after him wholeheartedly. Renew your commitment and follow after him. But don't make excuses for that. Don't make excuses, but be somebody who is tied to the commands of God. Be somebody who has that commitment that God asked of his people in the Old Testament. Where it rules every part of my life. His commands rule my life. I talk about it when I get up. I talk about it when I go to bed. I'm tied to his commandments. I have a reminder on myself. Follow his commands. Be that person. Be that person. You follow after Christ with everything inside of you. Not no halfway commitment. Because you can't have a halfway commitment and expect to get all the blessings of the Lord. Let me read, let me read the last part of that chapter to you. Because this is what would happen if you held the full commitment to God. Watch what it said. Same. Deuteronomy 6. Watch what verse 24 and 25 said. It said, And the Lord our God commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear him so that he can continue to bless us and preserve our lives as he has done to this day. For we will be counted as righteous when we obey all the commands the Lord our God has given us. That's what will happen to you. If you have this wholehearted commitment to God, if you obey his decrees and you follow after him and you fear him, he will continue to bless you, continue to preserve you, and you'll be counted as righteous as you follow him. That's what he wants for you. He doesn't want it the other way around where you live under the curse and the curse of the world and all of that stuff. Because as much as the world will make it try to seem like they're living their life and you're the one living under some type of you know, crazy rule by being a Christian. That's not it. Because they got to deal with all the wiles of the devil. They got to deal with demons. They got to deal with all the attacks of the enemy and have no authority over it. But if you live according to the commands of God, you can have power over all the enemy's commands and God will continue to protect you and preserve you and bless you. And you won't live under a curse anymore, but you'll live under the blessing of God. Look what God told Joshua. Joshua 1 verse 7, watch what it said. He said, only be strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not to the right or to the left, 
that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate on it day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. That's what will happen to you. This is not no one-way street. As much as people try to make it seem like, oh yeah, you know, I live this life and this pilgrim way, and you know, it's going to be bad on this earth, but when I get to heaven, it's going to be worth it. No, that's not it. If you follow and you have a wholehearted commitment to God, like he told Joshua, he will make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. But you can't claim that unless you're wholeheartedly committed to God. So I charge you today, renew your commitment. If you realize and you're evaluating yourself today and you're like, I don't have that level of commitment that he required of his people back in back in Deuteronomy. I don't have that level of commitment. Renew it today and make the changes. Let the Holy Spirit guide your way and help you to make those changes. And you will become a person that is wholly committed to God. You serve the Lord with all of your might, all your strength, and all your heart. And you're a person who will become tied to his commandments. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give everybody an opportunity to sow seed that wants to today. If you're listening or watching this podcast and you felt led to connect your finances to this ministry, I thank you so much for taking that step to do that today. You know, in this world today, the devil and many people in the world don't want the gospel to go forward. And they don't want the gospel to advance. And that's one of the biggest reasons why biblical prosperity is one of the most attacked doctrines of the Bible. Because it takes money to spread the gospel. It takes money to push the gospel into places that has never been heard before. It takes money to run mass crusades and do more for the kingdom of God. And that's why the enemy doesn't want it to go for it. But we won't be that people today. We will be people who take what God says and we will do something with it. We will be people that care about the things that God cares about. And we will connect our finances to God's kingdom and to the work of God. So if you felt led to give today, the ways to give are on the screen right now. Go ahead and take that step of faith. And know that when you do, it is not a one-sided thing. The Bible says if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things will be added unto you. When you take that step to push forward the kingdom of God, God will make sure that your house is taken care of. God will make sure that your needs are taken care of because you made sure that his kingdom was taken care of. And as you sow a seed, I want to thank you personally for doing that. We will do more to push the gospel out. We will do more podcasts. We will go and preach the gospel and in the future set up crusades and set up meetings to see the harvest brought in before Jesus comes back. So I thank you for your giving. I thank you for sowing your seeds. And I bless you in the name of Jesus for that. Amen.